Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Happy birthday to you. All right, sing it, boy. It's Wes and Walker. Oh, I like that. Okay. Do that again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Happy birthday to you. Is that all right? Mm, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Me and Stevie. Like this. The Wesson Walker Show on a Monday. Panthers fans, I know it's tough, but we're going to get through this together. Out here at the Spectrum Center, Hornets Media Day 2023. So a lot of excitement about the Hornets. Keep hitting us up on the text line, 704-570-9610. Hit that follow button on the social medias, whether you're talking about the WFNZ Twitter or Instagram page, at Wes Bryant, at at West Bryant underscore 72, I should say, at Walker Mellon, at HTB underscore Josh, and most importantly, at Wesson Walker on Twitter and Instagram. And now it is time to go to the campus counter. Big news coming out of Raleigh. The entire offseason was all about the marriage of Robert and I and Brennan Armstrong. And could they find the magic from a couple of seasons ago when Brennan Armstrong was one of the best football quarterbacks you'd never heard of at the University of Virginia when he had that monster season. And now, folks, that time has come to an end, at least in the short term. NC State will start MJ Morse over Brennan Armstrong going forward. I guess that Coach Dave Doran has seen enough, and it is time for him to move on. And when you look at Brennan Armstrong in the season that he's had to this point, 58% completions, 971 passing yards, five touchdowns passing, six interceptions, and three rushing touchdowns. Now, there's a lot of fault to pass around with this offense. Not a lot of receiving options. We reported last week that the refreshmen have been holding it down for the most part at receiving. There may be some promise that Casey Concepcion out of Chambers High School has been doing his thing. But this offense right now as a whole, there's no running back to speak of that is remarkable in your eyes. There's no receiver to speak of that's been dominant in your eyes. And so what do you think about this decision with MJ Morris? Is it going to change NC State's fortunes or is it going to be more of the same because there's just not a lot surrounding the quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll look better. Brandon Armstrong, it just hasn't been working for him. Isn't it odd, man? Like what he did at Virginia a couple of years ago, I know he had some wide receiver talent, some underutilized, at least under-talked about, I should say. Guys that weren't getting drafted, but were getting on with NFL teams as undrafted free agents. Dontavian Wicks is somebody that comes to mind. The offensive line was certainly better in the last year that you had under Bronco Mendenhall than when Tony Elliott comes over. But I still didn't expect it to be this bad against Louisville. This was the first, I would say, 
real contest. I know they played Notre Dame, but real contest that you thought NC State. Like, it would be a good measuring stick, I should say, right? Mm -hmm. And they didn't score many points. You look at what they do, 13-10 to in a loss to Louisville. Kudos to their defense for holding what had been a very good Cardinals offense, but we expected that, right? Like, that was the reason that for we thought NC State ugly might game up, Yes. Brennan Armstrong, two interceptions, only 112 yards passing on basically 50% completion percentage. You went through some of the stats. It just hasn't been good. A 13.7 QBR, and that's getting back with his offensive coordinator. It, I think... I think now is the right time. After a couple of losses, only scoring 10 points against Louisville, you just haven't seen a ton of progress. I have no problem with going back to MJ Morris, who, by the way, Wes, a lot of fans wanted to start at the beginning of the season anyway. No doubt about it. And I think this was a move, too, to keep MJ Morris in Raleigh because they know if they would have kept starting Brendan Armstrong and he was not performing up to snuff, MJ Morris was going to take his talents elsewhere, maybe before the season even ended. And for context, folks, Brendan Armstrong under Robert and I threw for 4,449 yards at a 65% clip with 31 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, and then he also rushed for nine scores as well. So he was one of the more dominant players in the country when you looked at it in the grand scheme of things, talking about what he was able to do, and a lot of people felt once he entered the portal and got back with Robert and I that things were going to be business as usual, but it was all for not. MJ Morris, it is his show now, so we will see what he does. But as far as what I think it means for the offense, I don't think it means much at all when you look at what is around him. The rushing game right now, your leading rusher is Michael Allen with 139 yards yet to score a rushing touchdown this season. Delbert Mims third is their leading touchdown scorer in the backfield, and he only has 92 yards rushing at three yards per pop. As I said, KC Concepcion is the leading receiver, 23 catches, 245 yards, and two touchdowns. The next best receiver is Porter Rooks, who only has 10 touchdowns with 125 yards, zero touchdowns on the season. So we're going to see a lot of things changing in Raleigh when you talk about the Wolfpack. Now, moving on to the weekend as a whole, though, let's pick out a biggest winner and the biggest loser from the weekend. And so when you look at uh, the biggest winners, man, I think you... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's tough. You know, when you start from a, from a local perspective and you just gander over the action that happened this weekend, uh, I think the Clemson Tigers have kind of gotten themselves a little bit uh, more respect, so to speak, going up, beating a Syracuse team that had a top five uh, total defense, the number one scoring offense, and the ACC at over 40 points a game. They go up there, hold them to 14 points. You could tell very early on that this was a very angry Clemson bunch. They scored 31 points. Kay Klubnik uh, actually looked good out there. And he looks like that he is progressing. And I will give him that much. You want to see him play better in big games, but 23 of 37, 263 yards and two touchdowns, you'll take that. Phil Moffin, Will Shipley, uh, each scoring a touchdown, you'll take that. And then Justin Maskell just Barry Garrett Schrader early in that game to set the tone with that big turnover. So I'm going to go with them. And then as far as my biggest loser on the weekend, uh, I'm going to go with the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, I tweeted about this. I was very upset. And I know, listen, I'm not saying at all I would move into being a coach and be Vince Lombardi and do all those things. That I know group coaching. chat was hot. I know coaching is hard as hell. But I just didn't understand why you decided to get cute at the end, didn't want to maybe be a little bit more aggressive to close that game out on top of the fact of you are getting to Sam Hartman with regularity bringing the blitz. The one-on-one -on -one matchups you created through that Notre Dame's offensive line talked about as being one of the best in the country had no answers for you. So why on fourth down? 
would you decide to run the defense that I hate the most in football where you only rush three? Unless you have Reggie White, Warren Sapp, and Lawrence Taylor as those three that are rushing the quarterback, I don't want to see it. And then Sam Hartman proceeded to run for a first down on a fourth and 16, I believe it was. As he started running, I said, no way he's going to get this. Somebody's going to swarm and tackle him. It was not to be. Let Notre Dame off the hook and then just poor tackling on Audric Estemi, one of the best running backs in the nation. Took it to the house, game over. And then the biggest, biggest travesty of the whole game, Riley Leonard. We don't know the injury prognosis yet, but it looks like he's going to be out for at least a long while with the season that he was having, top 10 according to PFF when you talk offensive grade. I know that they have a good young backup quarterback waiting in the wings that's athletic, can throw the football, but he's no Riley Leonard. And so now this has kind of taken your season off of the rails. Duke The Duke Blue Devils had the spotlight now, but it looks like it was all for naught as that loss to Notre Dame hurt them in more ways than one, no pun intended. All right, so, yeah, I'll start with the loser and then just continue to agree with you because of the injury at the end. That's the one that really allowed the Duke Blue Devils to be the biggest loser this weekend. On the last offensive play of the game for Duke, Riley Leonard goes down with what was a bad injury, so much to the point where people were saying, hey, I don't want to see that injury again. Yes. Like, don't show it. It was one of those types of injuries on social media where people were clamoring for you not to show the replay. Uh, here are a couple things that I agree with. I, I agree with half your take, and I agree disagree with half your take. <laughs> okay. So the thing I agree with is not settling for a field goal, and this was your take during the group chat, right? I know you were a little frustrated with Mike Elko for not going for a field goal, and instead they s- decided to go with the little pooch kick from Riley Leonard that put him on the five-yard line. Which was good back. strategy, yes. I, I, it worked. I thought it was good strategy because you had already missed even a 25-yard field goal, man. If you miss a field goal again at the end, the guy goes 0 for 3, and then Notre Dame is able to take over in extremely advantageous territory, we would have been questioning Mike Elko for doing that, right? Already 0 for point 2, taken, don't want to go 0 for 3. Totally with you on the defensive package that you brought out there, only rushing three. Wes, I don't even really need you to blitz, okay? (laughs) I know not blitzing was a huge point of contention for all the fans that were questioning what Mike Elko was doing. Blitzing was the way that you were getting after Sam Hartman all night long. Okay, if you want to blitz, don't want to blitz, that's fine. It's rushing three. That's the problem I had. That means you allow Sam Hartman to get some momentum going, and you're putting so much pressure on your defensive backs to cover that much longer because the odds are you're not going to post a sack with just rushing three defensive linemen. That was the decision that I hated the most. Totally with you on that part of it. Don't rush three. Bring in just normal four down territory or normal four defensive linemen. Have them go after Sam Hartman and then put guys back in coverage and then try to figure out how not to give up 16 yards. Totally with you there. My winner is Cade Klubnick. Quietly looking better. How about the 200? Even against Florida State, I was defending him a little bit, right? I don't think Cade Klubnick is the reason they lost that game. The time that he fumbled, that was just blindside, boom, big old pop, couldn't hold on to the football. Kate Klubnick, 280 yards against Florida State. Syracuse, he had 260. For the most part, put him away early, at least gained control of that game early, going in 21-7, I believe, at halftime. Kate Klubnick, this is what you want, right? 260, 250, that's what you want as far as a total passing yard game from Kate Klubnick. We don't need to go to Sean Watson. We don't need to see a dude, some Trevor Lawrence stuff. We just need you to perform better than what the passing offense did under DJU last year. And now that is slowly starting to happen in the last two games, and that includes an opponent like Florida State. So really like what you're getting from Cade Klubnick. Even if Clemson fans 
I don't want to say they're in denial. It's certainly going to be a lot harder to achieve what kind of goals you set out to this year, but at least Cade is bringing you something to hope for. Yeah, and so when you talk about the Clemson Tigers, let's get into uh, maybe quickly about LSU is a 3-2 and two team, and they had a blowout loss to FSU and another loss to a top-20 team. Their best win is by 27 against Mississippi State on the road, who's 2-3, and three, by the way. Clemson is 3-2 and two with an overtime loss to Florida State and another loss to a top-20 team, but they went on the road, as I said, and decimated uh, a Syracuse team that was on the cusp of the top-25. LSU is currently 23rd with 149 uh, points that they received in the voting. Clemson is ninth in others receiving votes. Are the Tigers being disrespected, and are they uh, the best two-loss team in the country? I definitely think they are deserving of more respect after Saturday, and especially over LSU team that we know that the SEC badge is what's got them still in the polls. Yeah, if you're looking at some of the other star real quickly, I was just looking over the standings with some of the Carolina schools. I didn't realize how bad it was until until you start looking, right? Like even App State barely escaping with a victory. <laughs> I mean, you look at Charlotte, that's a bad loss, just continuing to go over what happened this college football weekend. Bad loss for Charlotte. North Carolina, thank God they dodged the weekend that was coming after all of the schools, basically, in North Carolina for having this break. And yeah. so we'll see what they do against Syracuse. Clemson at least getting that victory as well. But NC State now having a bad loss to the point where they want to change QBs. Hopefully it goes better for the local teams next weekend and beyond, Wes, because it was pretty brutal for a lot of fan bases out there on the college football slate. And we're starting to get into the thick of things, some big matchups on the horizon real quick as we're up against the break. What did you think of the matchup in Boulder? Should Shador and Caleb Williams. Did Shador change your mind at all, uh, if anything, when you talk about the, the draft comparisons, positioning, so to speak, uh, against one Caleb oh, Williams? Well, I don't think so. I, I think what I have felt about this team pretty much from the beginning of the season, I think, has been true. Shador is clearly the real deal. That guy is fantastic. Totally believe in him going forward. Caleb Williams is still going to be the number one QB prospect to me, but what Shador is doing is great. The offensive line has to get better. Good job on Colorado not laying down, coming back in that game. The throw in the end zone by Shador, it's, it's been, I don't even know how that was able to get past the USC defender. So I think this is what we're going to see for much of the season against the top 10, top 25 teams with a respectable enough defense. USC might lose a couple games. They didn't look great defensively in the second half. But Colorado able to take advantage of that. I expect them to put up a decent amount of points. I expect Shador to run for his life a few times because the offensive line isn't great. I expect the defense to give up a lot of points to the opposition, and most likely they're going to lose against those top 25 opponents. But they're never going to be out of it because their quarterback is that good. Yeah, all I know is that the NFL's future is bright when you talk about prospects. Shadour Sanders, 371 yards, four scores. Kayla Williams, 403 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, you talk about making the game look easy. It's just some of the crazy plays that he makes. Both of these young men, big-time quarterbacks. Can't wait to see what they do for the rest of the season. And Kayla Williams is for sure still my pick to win uh, the, the Heisman for a second consecutive season. So when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, we're going to talk Carolina Panthers and Scott Fitterer and all the other things going wrong down at the bank. That and more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Hitting on a lot of topics. Have somebody that wants us to criticize Charlotte 49er football. There's only so much time in the week. Oh, yeah, we got a week now. We're going to get into the thick of all the matchups this week. I will criticize, I will berate Charlotte football (laughs) later this season. Look, man, Biff Pogey, he did make a lot of promises. I get that, right? And so we can talk a little bit more after their loss to SMU. They have a few losses, including to Power 5 schools like Florida, Maryland. We'll discuss what the 49ers can do to get back on track. But we have to have that same conversation with the Carolina Panthers who start their season 0-4, Wes. Mm -hmm. And we didn't expect an 0-4 start. At least you and I thought they might bounce back after an opener loss against the Falcons just because it's really hard for a rookie quarterback to come in, win their first game. It's their first ever time doing the big boy thing, leading all of the NFL players that they have in that locker room to a victory, your first ever go of it. That was always going to be tough. But you and I thought, okay, Then he can bounce back against New Orleans and possibly win that game. That didn't happen. Andy Dalton suits up. Offense looks the best that it has, even in hindsight, after this fourth game they played against Minnesota because they only scored six points. This was the time, Wes. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. We thought this was going to be the time that Bryce Young was really able to put it all together. He threw for 200 yards. There were a couple of completions that he had, not downfield, but I guess 10 yards downfield, which feels like a Hail Mary with this offense the way that they're playing. What are some of the things that you take away with the lack of production they have offensively through the first four games of the season? Well, just for one, you just go back to Sunday alone and 3.4 yards per play, man. This is an offense that doesn't threaten you in any way. If your team is playing against the Panthers, what are you sitting there pondering when you say, okay, how or what do they have to stop when you're talking about the Panthers? Like, what are you really worried about? Thielen, he's a death by a thousand cuts guy. You know what I'm saying? He had seven catches for over 70 yards, but this is a guy that's going to kill you intermediate to short. DJ Chark was nowhere to be found on Sunday, uh, and that's one of his issues with his career. is just kind of the inconsistency. That's the thing about the great players, man. They show up week in and week out. You can't give me a big week against Seattle where you look dominant. Granted, I know the quarterback has to throw the receiver to football, but he doesn't show up at all. And so then uh, also Hayden Hurst. We hadn't heard a lot from him since Atlanta. So, uh, you know, when you just think about this team, especially from a fan aspect, or you think about it as an opponent, and you're just like, well, how can they hurt me? And at this point, you're not seeing a lot as far as how they can hurt you. This team is not running the football very well at all. You know at some point the offensive line is going to break down if you put them in obvious passing situations. And I think now at this point the book is out on this Carolina offense. Teams are going to put a heavy box in there, and they're going to focus on the run first and foremost, and those intermediate probably going to sit on a lot of those intermediate routes and then dare you to throw it deep. And until Carolina starts to hit some deep balls with Bryce Young and starts to go downfield or, if it's a situation where Frank Reich doesn't trust Bryce Young and he decides to say to hell with it, we're 0-4, let's just play with house money and go out there and have fun, which I think probably is going to have to be the M.O. Uh, going forward, then I just don't think that there's a lot of ways that they can attack teams that are going to worry them and defenses are going to feel like, okay, even if you make a couple of plays early, we know at some point things are going to break down. Um, you look at what our conversation was last week. We gave it up to the people. 
They dictated our show. What conversation did they want us to have in segment two? Was it a conversation surrounding Scott Fitterer, David Tepper, or was it Frank Reich at that point? Got a lot of mentions on David Tepper, but ultimately Scott Fitterer won out. And that's where we shared a lot of the blame or just talked about what piece of that pie that he does deserve. Mm -hmm. The blame pie, if you will. So then here we are one week later. My question is how much does Bryce deserve right now? Because it's only four games in. It doesn't mean that we have to say Bryce Young isn't going to work out at quarterback. It doesn't mean that he's already a bust through just four games into his NFL career. It doesn't mean that the play calling isn't a legitimate issue. It is. When you have this many what we thought of as smart minds on the same side, you don't expect this kind of offensive output. But Bryce Young clearly is having his struggles too. And I think the play calling from Frank Reich, Looked like play calling that was scared to death of their offensive line, scared to death of having enough time to possibly look deep. They're not getting the plays in on time. Some of that might be Bryce Young calling out of it. I don't know if you noticed this, Wes. I heard a lot of kill, kill, kill in this game against Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Lots of moving on to the second play. So, okay, you get the play call in late, and then Bryce Young doesn't like that play call. So now you're saying kill, and how many weeks in a row have we seen a timeout have to be used because – you're going to have a delay of game penalty, which, by the way, they were able to get a delay of game penalty in the first half as well. It just feels like all of this is a big old mess, and Bryce Young isn't looking good. Frank Reich isn't calling the right plays. If he is, then they're getting changed. If they are the right plays even then, then they're coming in late. It just, there's just nothing to point to and say, okay, well, if you just fix this, it's all going to look, look a lot better. Hell, Wes, let's say even you get through all of that without having a problem. The offensive line is going to give you a penalty. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. The protection isn't there. It's, there are so many obstacles to overcome for you to just have a positive play. And I think that is what is the most concerning part about watching that unit take the field. I agree with you 100%. If you look at Bryce's passing chart yesterday, not a pass attempted of over 20-plus yards. It's mind-blowing. We know at Alabama we saw him throw it all over the yard and play with such confidence and uh, such you know pizzazz, so to speak. And he's out on the field. He looks timid. And that's the thing, too. When he comes in with his personality, I know he comes across very soft-spoken and things of that nature. Like, I mean, you wonder a little bit, is this a guy that's just kind of a, a robot for the coaches to where they're going to do exactly what he says and Frank Reich is instructing him not to try to uh, push the envelope too much because you, you just you have to wonder. It's not there. Do you want to attack a little bit? And so uh, the most of his damage came 7 of 9 over the middle, 10-plus yards, 7 of 9, 103 yards on the day. And then, like you said, he threw 10 passes behind the line of scrimmage. We're really when you look at it, 11 passes, to be exact, that were behind the line of scrimmage. If that doesn't tell you I'm scared to death of my offensive line, <laughs> yeah. don't trust what this offense can do, I don't know what else does. I don't remember looking at a quarterback stat line and seeing them throw that many passes behind the line of scrimmage. It's got to be frustrating. And so for Frank Reich, again, this is a guy like – Let's just take the gloves off here, okay? Let's just take them off. Oh, Isotoners, yeah, I saw that. I saw that want. phrase a couple times. You're ready to do it. <laughs> Let's just say, man, you're coming out, you, you're constantly putting your foot in your mouth with some of the things that you're saying. You come out and you say, oh, the, the offense is vanilla, and I'm not calling anything like that, and I, I don't want to get too, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't want to get too saucy with what I'm calling. Where's the sauce? What have we seen? We haven't seen 
anything that looked like any sorts of semblance of aggression except for when you had a, a vet. And I think, truthfully, that Andy Dalton was coming in the game. He's seen so much. He's done so much. He doesn't care. He's the backup. He knows he's secure. He said, I'm going to throw this damn ball downfield. I'm going to get the ball the way I feel like it should go, man. So this is this is the part where I don't know how much of this is on Bryce, though, because think about all of the commentary surrounding the situation. They trust Bryce Young with this offense. That's the one thing we continue to hear about it. Bryce Young has control. We had it. We heard it all offseason. Well, and we're hearing it now too. I I will say that that's not stopping. We're hearing here in Week Four, the game leading up to Week Four, how much control West had, or excuse me, not West. I'm reading this. You don't have any control <laughs> of the offense. Maybe if you did, they'd look better. Yeah. But if Bryce has control over the offense even now. And here we are talking about how he's giving you the kill, kill, kill. Then you're either given, you know, two plays where they're ready for that second one if they don't like the first look. But it does seem like a lot of this is on Bryce West. Mm-hmm. And if, if we value his brain, if because remember in the offseason, we talked about how Frank was saying, yeah, we wanted to keep it a little simple for a rookie QB, but he learned so much, we decided to give him more. So how much of it is Bryce not checking into the right play? How much of it is Bryce not wanting to throw it downfield when there are options there? We heard that a little bit from Frank, I think, after week two. They thought there was a deep shot or after week one. They thought there were a couple deep shots against Atlanta that just didn't work out. My thing is, the, the part for me to put blame on Frank Reich, man, call the play and say, Bryce, you're running it. You ain't got no more control. Because I, And I don't know how much of that is going on right now, but it seems like Bryce does have it based off what we're hearing, based off what we hear when he's at the line of scrimmage. If you're Frank Reich, then do you just take complete control like some of these other quote-unquote offensive gurus, which people have thrown sarcastically in the face of Frank Reich, just go ahead and say, man, you're running this, and these are going to be your options. Make it work. Is that the right way, or do you want Bryce to continue to have this much control as a four-game, three-game experienced rookie? This is what I'm having trouble deciphering. Or... Okay. Or, or, is Bryce, Bryce, we talked about the whole process, his processing. Is he a guy, you think about it, you hear the stories, and I I hearken back to basketball a lot. You hear about the Kobe Bryants and the Rajon Rondos and, and guys like that, that they're so smart that if you're coaching, you come in and you don't know what you're talking about. They're going to be looking at you like, man, what's this dude up here talking about? Because they know the game so well. I say that to say, is this a case where Bryce is getting out there? Because LeBron is also famous for this. When LeBron knows the situation isn't, advantageous. You can tell by how he's playing. He knows kind of what's going on. You can tell after a couple of games in the series, LeBron's like, yeah, we're out, man. This is going to be tough. I'm going to do what I can, but I already know we don't have enough. And so I say that to say, you wanted this Bryce getting out there, and he's like, man, I know football like the back of my hand. I know when I get out here that these receivers aren't enough. I know that Woo! I'm just going to try to get out here. Like, Three games in? That's a thought. That's that a is, thought. That is mightily Too boisterous. smart for your own good. But but I th- knowing you, you would want to fight him. Right? Like knowing the way you talk about how Bryce Young needs to suit up and play football. Yeah. I would think you would hate that if that mm-hmm. is the case for Bryce. Oh, yeah. I can't buy into that, Wes. Mm-hmm. Like I can't. Just throwing and, and, no, stuff out there. No, and I hear you, but yeah. this is the problem because it's very easy to hate on Frank Reich, and I'm with you. Like I, Frank Reich has some problems right now, play calling, problem. The game management, not calling a timeout. When there was 28 seconds left after Adam Thielen had that first reception to set you up for a possible field goal, blame Frank Reich all day. Call the timeout. 
this isn't hard. That is solely on the head coach. I don't know what you're thinking. You got two timeouts. You don't have to save them. They're not rollover timeouts. Call it right then and there and give your offense some time to work. But you didn't. That's a lot of blame. That is solely set for Frank Reich. But my point with Frank is, man, I do think we have a little too much evidence of him working well with either mediocre QBs or good QBs, or maybe even bad, depending on what you think of with Carson Wentz and Jacoby Brissett. For me, it, it, it just seems too illogical to put so much of the blame on Frank to where he is the guy that is holding them back so much, mm-hmm. right? Like, we've, we've seen him work with Andrew Luck, but okay, Andrew Luck, <laughs> that dude was as talented as anybody. Okay, so it's all about Andrew and what he's doing pretty well. And then we look at other guys like Jacoby, Carson Wentz, he's still getting seven and nine above 500. No, he's not winning the Super Bowl. But if you gave him a QB, the dude was either going to be a postseason head coach with a good QB or 500 with one that was mediocre or bad. Is that too much? Hey, it doesn't matter. It's all about what have you done for me lately. He's not doing well. That's why he deserves all this criticism. Man, I, I just can't help but forget about all that stuff. And, Wes, the play calling problems that we had against Seattle, it wasn't necessarily – it wasn't in the passing game at all. It was in the running game. Mm-hmm. People wanted them to establish the run. Well, they tried that, and it wasn't working here, and they were throwing a lot of screens to avoid pressure. But we didn't have any real problems in the passing game play-calling-wise once Andy Dalton was out there. And so this is the stuff that doesn't necessarily add up to me as it's solely being on the coaching staff. That's to why, for me, I think the fans had it right last week. Scott Fitterer, man, you got to put together the right personnel. It doesn't seem like that's hitting this year. And David Tepper, as a lot of people have pointed out on the text line, he's the common thread. Of all of these years that have built up consecutively where they don't get to the postseason, where they don't have a winning season, David Tepper is the common thread after he purchased the squad. And that's where I start to look at more so and say, yep, it is the higher up you go, the more responsibility they should bear. And also, too, do you think, though, that because when we talk about coaching and uh, saying that Bryce Young has so much control, but do you also think that this is a situation with Frank being a veteran coach? He's the head coach. Like, this is his job on the line, ultimately, ultimately, if it doesn't work out. So if things aren't going well and he's letting Bryce have that control, like, I would like to think that when Bryce comes to the sideline, he's going to give him an earful and say, look, you need to start doing X, Y, Z, this, that, and a third because we are stressed. Like, I don't think that necessarily he's just uh, letting him go out there, take control, things aren't working, and he's just like, all right, man, whatever Bryce says, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying, oh, yeah. but I'd like to think that Frank at some point is going to be like, all right, this isn't working, he's that's not calling right. the game properly, right. get over here, let me tell you what we're about to do. Which, by the way, that falls on head coaching as well. Mm-hmm. You're the guy that is running all of this. I am not trying to absolve him. I'm trying to say why it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, mm-hmm. right? If you want to argue that Steve Wilkes would have done a better job with this team, you've got a lot of evidence to work with based off. Last, uh, based off how last year went. I'm with you. I think probably Steve Wilkes would have come up with a game plan that you'd be able to run the ball effectively, that you'd be able to get better production out of your offensive line. That, I'm, I understand. I just can't look at the history of Frank Reich as a play caller with the Chargers working with Phillip Rivers the first time, being a key guy calling that offense with the Philadelphia Eagles, whether it be Carson Wentz then or Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl, and then going to the Colts where you had to deal with a different QB every five years. This is what doesn't necessarily add up to me. That's why I think organizationally it's a big old failure right now. Even if if people were trying to temper the expectations, hey, this is a rebuilding year, everybody's going a little too crazy with their Bryce Young expectations. I'm sorry. It's not supposed to look like that. 
you're not supposed to only put up six points against Minnesota. <laughs> it can't look like that way. Yeah, and so to answer Baco guy's question, he's asking me on the text line, is he is Bryce playing too cautious and scared to let it rip, saying he hasn't seen him dropping in the bucket and some of the great throws that we saw from him uh, prior to the Carolina Panthers. And I would say to that, man, you got to look at this thing twofold. It's either the fact that Bryce isn't trusting uh, what he feels like he has out there to be able to let it rip, or just the fact that maybe he's the classic byproduct of college to the NFL, to where he's playing at Alabama. And yeah, granted, they didn't have a super-duper supporting cast at Alabama his last year, but these were guys that were still more talented than most teams they face, and a lot of things would get defined for him. And yes, he'd make some spectacular throws in some tight windows, but he would also be able to uh, find guys on a regular basis that were winning their matchups. And so maybe as he getting to the pros, and he just doesn't know how to adjust to guys uh, not necessarily winning their matchups on a consistent basis. Last thing before we hit the break, we are here at the Spectrum Center, live for Hornets Media Day, are expected to speak to a couple of different players. Just saw Mark Williams pass by. He's taking his team photos. So once he's done with that, we do expect him to have uh, to, to have him at some point. Last point I did want to make about the Panthers. We did expect more Chuba Hubbard in this game, mm-hmm. and we got it, Wes. If you look at the snap count for him against the Vikings, Chuba Hubbard played 54% of the snaps, only 43% for Miles Sanders. We talked about pass protection being a big reason why. And, man, if you look at the first two carries of the game, they were looking to establish some kind of physicality. They did it with LaVisca, physical run. Nice job picking up, I think, like five yards. Chuba got the next carry. And then what happened when they gave it to Miles Sanders? Not picking up a whole lot of physical yards. Man, that was the same thing that happened over and over and over again if you look at their production. Chuba ran for 41 on 14. Miles ran for 19 on 13. Carries Wes. And it looked, Chuba looks the physical part. Like, he looks like the better running back between the tackles. The numbers have suggested that. We called for it. Fans have been noticing it as well. And then you start to look at Scott Fitterer. Who paid Miles Sanders the biggest free agent running back contract yeah, out the there Panthers on the market? Yeah, the just get on their Joker from the first Batman and just had a parade in the streets and just throwing the money out in the streets. Is that what happened? Here? It didn't feel like it. <laughs> it didn't feel like it because it's a little misleading because it's not like you gave anybody a, a Dalvin Cook, Devontae Freeman, Derrick Henry contract, but you did give him the most money that was had for a free agent running back. And, man, he doesn't look as good as Tuba. No. And he doesn't look as good as what Deontay Foreman was last year. Very average. And we weren't high on that signing in the first place, man. Not crazy high. uh, You want to be able to get a little bit more out of him, especially a lot of the hyperbole you heard from him in the preseason and some of that Super Bowl pedigree coming over from Philly because the system system player birds are out and they are alive on the text line talking about Miles Sanders. All right. So, Miles Sanders not necessarily looking the part right now. We'll see if this offense can get it back on track. Miles to go to get better. Uh, there you go. You like Boom. that? Yeah, I know I y'all love the dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> dad joke from Yeah, dad. let's go. Fitty back in the Planet Kia Studios holding it down. We're holding it down here at the Spectrum Center for Hornets Media Day. When we come back, we hope to speak to a couple of Hornets players, Mark Williams, Terry Rogier. Both are on the schedule. Hopefully they can join us sooner rather than later. It's all on Wesson Walker. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ, live at the Spectrum Center for Hornets Media Day. And as promised, a Hornets player stopping by, talking with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. How about the second overall pick, Brandon Miller, joining us via that guest line. Brandon, we appreciate the time, man. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you hopping on. I did want to ask this, right? This is your first media day. We're your first station, too, right? Any media day advice from any of the vets, the Wiley vets on this squad? Um... I think I think the, the the advice that I've gotten is just be myself. Um, I think that's all I can do is just be myself, show the fans who I am. Okay, that's not bad advice. I wanted to know if there was anything crazy no, that any no, of the no, veterans no. gave you, <laughs> what to expect from media day or anything like no. that. And so really just wanted to ask about Steve Clifford's comments. Had a chance to talk with him earlier, saw him have an interview on the Charlotte Observer, and anytime he's asked about you, he discusses your IQ and just how you're ready to be a significant contributor from day one because of some of that IQ. Playing in summer league, making the right pass, if you're you know doing five-on-five drills, if if you're open, you're going to let it fly. If not, you're going to move the basketball. Of course. But what what has that relationship uh, relationship been like with Coach Clifford so far, and with his confidence in you? Um, well, I mean, it, I've known him for a little minute now. Uh, I feel like we build a bond that, you know, no one can break. Um, as far as just on the court, but off the court, you know, he's a loving guy, loving coach off the court. Um, I look up to him like any of my any of my teammates. Um, you know, we can sit down and have conversation with him. He knows everybody's weaknesses and strengths. Um, but as far as that, I'm just here to have fun with uh, you know my, my my whole team. I don't think it's all about me. I think it's about winning. So, do you have an expected role for yourself this year, based off what you've heard from Coach Clifford <laughs> and what your own uh, aspirations are? A role? No, I think I'm just here to win games. Um, just do everything I can, make all the right plays, um, be in the right places, just to, you know, um, put our put the team in positions to win ball games. Brandon, so now you're in the NBA, we know this, and you guys are starting up training camp and all of that. Have you had a welcome to the NBA moment yet from your own team? <laughs> um, I haven't got a welcome moment, but. I think everybody's welcoming uh, as far as just <laughs> off the court. Uh, but on the court, no welcomings yet. Um, as far as just competing every day and making each other better, I think that's all it's been. It's just a lot of um, competitive moments. How excited are you and, and how much more work do you feel like you need to put in as you prepare yourself for your first ever game out here on this very court we're sitting at? Uh, it's definitely it's an everyday thing. Uh, I think the most important thing is just always keeping your body right uh, so you can be able to take bumps every game because uh, definitely a long season. I think that's one of the things that they preach to me. 82 games is not... Um, you know, a regular college season. Um, so I think that's one thing I just have to adjust to, is just playing a long season. Brandon Miller joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. We are at Hornets Media Day, live at the Spectrum Center. I wanted to talk a little bit about Summer League, because that was the first time you really got to play right I mean, right from the rip. That's how it works in the NBA. You get drafted, what is it, a couple weeks later, you're really shooting up with the squad. What was that experience like for you, playing with some of the other guys that have been in the league for a while? Uh, it was fun. Um, I think we went to Vegas just to... You know, have fun and try to uh, build bonds with you know new teammates uh, that you you know potentially play with uh, this season. Uh, I know me and my guy Nick Smith, we played with each other since AAU days, so uh, it was kind of um, the same as always, just with me and him, just the brotherly love that we have for each other. Um, but as far as everybody else, just create new bonds and just 
you know, wanted to compete at a high level with everybody. Now, during the pre-draft process, it looked like when it was the big debate, who the Charlotte Hornets were going to take at number two. Afterwards, it looked like there was a bond formed between you and the star <laughs> player here in LaMelo Ball. What was that conversation like with you and LaMelo before you even knew if you were going to be the selection for the Hornets or not? Uh, he kind of he contacted me early. I, I, he came to my first workout here um, and kind of just welcomed me as family. Um, so now I just look up to him as an older brother. Uh, I know, you know, it's going to be a great year for him. Um, you know, just pray he stay healthy, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just just having that bond, an older brother that's, you know, basically the same age as you is kind of, it's kind of the same. It, it felt like, was he spilling the beans, though, that you were going to be the pick? Like, it, it looked Kinda. like... <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it a little bit. It seemed like he gave you that confidence that you were going to be the guy. Uh, Confidence, definitely. But after the draft, I definitely knew that, it, you know, that, that he's going to be, you know, my vet um, yeah. coming in this year. So I guess all I can do is this year is just be a sponge and just soak up everything. So, Brandon, when you out there playing in the summer league and uh, it was basically you out there and a lot of the young guys, were you thinking about moments to where you said, hey, when LaMelo's out here, this this is going to be that much easier. And have you ever played with a point guard with the passing acumen that he has? Um, I think just summer league, I was just worried about winning games uh, as far as just, you know, helping my, the, the team that I was playing on um, just win as many games as summer league as possible, you know, hopefully win the thing. But fortunately, we couldn't win the whole thing. Uh, but, you know, we still went out there and had the, the most fun as we can and just compete at a high level. And so, uh, also, too, I guess I would be remiss to ask you, you know, how big of an Alabama football fan are you? Are you disappointed with how the season's going so far this year? Um, not disappointed. I'm probably the biggest Alabama fan you know in here um, <laughs> today, uh, any day. Um, Nick Saban, I'm a big Nick Saban fan. Uh, I think that's one of the, during my recruitment, that's one of the guys I just wanted to take a picture with. Usually, you, you, you won't see me take a picture with anybody. Uh, but <laughs> Nick Saban is definitely one of the guys. Um Disappointed this year? Uh, no, not really. I'm, I'm more cheering for my guy Bryce Young. As I was about you know, to say. The Panthers, you know, we're down the street from each other, so we, we, we're the only ones here just cheering each other on. How often y'all talk? Uh, probably every week. Okay. <laughs> probably <Yeah>. every week. <laughs> well, how's he, how's he doing, man? What kind of insider scoop can you give us on Bryce Young and how he's feeling right now? Just learning. He's learning. It's all a learning experience uh, for me and him, just being a rookie, uh, looking up to those guys, and, you know, being here is also a great feeling, but, you know, contributing at, at a high level is, you know, the most important thing. Um, so, really, we're just both learning. One thing, Brandon, you did talk about when you were drafted, the media day right after, it seemed like you want to embrace the community quite a bit. You talked about how if somebody's walking around the streets, yeah. they see you, hey, take a picture, say what's course, up, say, say hello, up. how's it going? Yeah. So has that happened a lot since yes. you've been in this city? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you regret saying that to the people of Charlotte? I don't. Um, the, the, you know, they're good people. Um, you know, they're fans. You know, they come mm -hmm. up, ask pictures. Of course, I'm willing to take pictures, have conversations. Uh, I think every time I'm out, I, someone sees me out and notices me and wants to take pictures. Um, but, you know, it's, it's all just, a, like I said, a learning thing. Um, you know, you learn you learn things and, you know, you, you get past things. Well, uh, people always say that iron sharpens iron. And so, so far uh, in your young Hornets career, who's been the guy in the practices, in the workouts, in the scrimmages? Because Coach talked about how much you got scrimmage that you've been competing the hardest with and, and learning the most from so far. Uh, I really think it's, it's a team effort. Just everybody competing at a high level in practice and open runs. Um you know, every matchup every day it could change. You know, one day you guard um, Gordon Hayward, and the next day you guard Lamelo Ball. Like, um, so it's just, it's really 
just competing at a high level with each other, making each other better, um, having fun with it. All right, last question for us here. I just want to know, like, I, you've been very professional. It's been a great interview. I'm glad you're doing a great job in your first station. We really appreciate it. I really want to tap into your true feelings on when you take the court for the first time. What's that moment going to be for you? Like, is there any kind of anxiousness or anxiety leaning towards it? Well, what are your feelings as you gear up for October 25th? The crazy thing is, me and my mom, we just talked about this the other day. She was asking me, would I be nervous? I was like, um, nervous? No, I think I'll just tone everything out, uh, kind of buy into the game and, uh, you know, know the game plan of just going in, trying to get another win. Um, as far as, you know, first game, you're going to have a little jitters, but I think probably a minute, minute within the game, they'll probably just run out. That is the voice of Brandon Miller here at the Spectrum Center. We're here for Hornets Media Day via the Body Works Plus guest hotline, the number two overall pick in this past NBA draft. Uh, we appreciate the time, Brandon. Thanks. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. All right, so that was Brandon Miller. We'll put that interview on our website, by the way, WFNZ.com. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. One more hour to go on Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.